You can turn with me then to our sermon text for today, which is found in the book of Genesis, chapter 48. Genesis 48, and we'll be reading the full chapter. Genesis 48, starting in verse 1. After this, Joseph was told, Behold, your father is ill. So he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And it was told to Jacob, Your son Joseph has come to you. Then Israel summoned his strength and sat up in bed. And Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me and said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you, and I will make of you a company of peoples, and will give this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession. And now, your two sons, who were born to you in the land of Egypt, before I came to you in Egypt, are mine. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine, as Reuben and Simeon are. And the children that you fathered after them shall be yours. They shall be called by the name of their brothers in their inheritance. As for me, when I came from Paddan to my sorrow, Rachel died in the land of Canaan on the way, when there was still some distance to go to Ephrath. And I buried her there on the way to Ephrath, that is, Bethlehem. When Israel saw Joseph's sons, he said, Who are these? Joseph said to his father, They are my sons, whom God has given me here. And he said, Bring them to me, please, that I may bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age, so that he could not see. So Joseph brought them near him, and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face. And behold, God has let me see your offspring also. Then Joseph removed them from his knees, and he bowed himself with his face to the earth. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim in his right hand toward Israel's left hand, and Manasseh in his left hand toward Israel's right hand, and brought them near. And Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was the younger, and his left hand on the head of Manasseh, crossing his hands, for Manasseh was the firstborn. And he blessed Joseph and said, The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, The God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys. And in them let my name be carried on, and the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. When Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him, and he took his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, Not this way, my father, since this one is the firstborn, put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He also shall become a people, and he also shall be great. Nevertheless, his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his offspring shall become a multitude of nations. So he blessed them that day, saying, By you Israel will pronounce blessings, saying, God make you as Ephraim and as Manasseh. Thus he put Ephraim before Manasseh. Then Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I am about to die, but God will be with you and will bring you again to the land of your fathers. Moreover, 
I have given to you, rather than to your brothers, one mountain slope that I took from the hand of the Amorites with my sword and with my bow. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray for God's blessing upon his word. Blessed Lord, who has caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning, grant that we may in such a way hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and comfort of your holy word, we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. We are like sheep. From Genesis to Revelation, the metaphor of sheep and shepherd is used to describe us and God. Isaiah would say, we all, like sheep, have gone astray. We've made ourselves liable to death and danger as those sheep who would go astray from the shepherd and from the fold. The world, the flesh, the devil seek to devour the sheep. Only because our sins were laid upon the good shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep are we delivered. God in Christ brings back the wandering sheep and brings the the lost to the safety of the fold. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. He guides us in paths of righteousness to still waters and green pastures. The Lord is our shepherd. The dangers are still out there, the enemies that are that we uh, are before us, and we continue to depend upon our heavenly shepherd. Jesus told his disciples that he sent them out as sheep in the midst of wolves, exhorting them to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. But he also promised his disciples to be with them, even to the end of the age. They know his voice, and they follow him. He delivers his sheep from danger, and shall lead them to his eternal kingdom of glory. The Lord is our shepherd, and we are his sheep. Now, when Jacob, who's also known as Israel, and I'm primarily going to refer to him as Israel, but I'm talking about the person, Jacob, Israel said in our text that God has been my shepherd all my life long to this day. He knew something about what it meant to be a shepherd. Jacob knew what he was talking about. Israel had been a shepherd. He had labored hard in the heat and in the cold as a shepherd, leading the sheep to food, protecting them from wild beasts. He saw that he himself had been like God's sheep, surrounded by threats and dangers and hostile men that would seek to devour him. The years of his sojourn had been few and evil, filled with trials and hardship. And yet God had taken him under his care, under his protection, had provided for him all the way, had guided him and delivered him from all danger. Israel had rested in the care of his shepherd, God Almighty. And here he then commended Joseph's sons to his care as well. And so Israel's descendants 
would years later, for centuries, would afterward call, continue to call upon God in this way. Psalm 80 uh, begins with this appeal. Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock. You who are enthroned upon the cherubim, shine forth before Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh. Stir up your might and come to save us. Restore us, O God. Let your face shine that we may be saved. Call upon the shepherd of Israel. Drives Joseph like a flock. This ought to be your faith as well, to receive and rest upon the shepherd of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Hebrews 11 calls us to imitate the faith of our forefathers in the faith, men like Jacob. It says, by faith Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. Lots of demonstration of faith that we could find uh, throughout Jacob's life. Uh, But the author of Hebrews, who only had so much space that he was going to write, uh, picked this point out of Jacob's life, blessing the sons of Joseph as something that he had done by faith. He had exercised faith in God as he lay dying and blessed the sons of Joseph, Ephraim and Manasseh. And so we come to this chapter and we should, we should find uh, the faith of Jacob, something for us uh, to also exercise as we look to our God as our shepherd. First in this chapter, there's the adoption of Joseph's two sons. Then there is the blessing of Joseph's two sons. And then there is the gift of a particular piece of land to Joseph. Uh, Israel adopts Ephraim and Manasseh. He then blesses Ephraim and Manasseh. And then he gives a piece of land to Joseph and to his uh, descendants. In verses 1 through 12, he adopts Joseph's two sons. It was important for Israel, again Jacob, Israel to pass on his covenant heritage to his offspring, uh, to his descendants. He lay dying. He was probably about near the time of his death. We don't know how long before, but he says, I'm about to die. Of course, he's been feeling like he's about to die for a long time, it seems. But uh, he was now on his bed. He was ill. So this is probably near his 147th year of his life. And he summons his strength to sit up in bed that he might say these words to his son and to his grandsons. This was important to him. He calls the vizier of Egypt to come to his bed. Uh, Joseph was not too important for this. He came to his father's bed. And Israel recounted to Joseph his meeting with God Almighty at Luz. Luz was the previous name for Bethel. Of course, he had seen, uh, he had, God had spoken to him at Bethel twice. First when he was going out of the land, and then after he had returned to the land. Probably that second time is especially in mind. But thinking of the promises that God had given him when he appeared to him, And he recounts these to Joseph. God had promised me to make me fruitful and multiply, to make me a company of nations, to give this land to my offspring as an everlasting possession. Israel believed these promises. It was important for him, therefore, that his offspring, that his descendants, would share in these promises, that they would benefit from these promises, that they would inherit this, that they would have a share in the promised future. And so Ephraim and Manasseh, these two sons that were born to Joseph in Egypt before 
Israel had arrived there. They were brought to Israel's knees. Now, they probably didn't sit on Israel's knees because if this was uh, Israel's final year of life, they were probably around 20, you know, 18 or 20 years old. They're not little boys uh, in any case, but they're brought probably symbolically to his knees as a, a symbol of their adoption. He had explained this first, they will be mine, even as uh, Reuben and Simeon are mine, they are being made full heirs of Israel, that they would have a full share, each of them, uh, with Joseph's brothers. And so they are brought to Israel. He kisses and embraces them, uh, adopting them as his sons. And at this points, you know, both Joseph and Israel give glory to God. Joseph gave glory to God for giving him these sons. These are the sons that God has given me. Even as he had ascribed glory to God in naming them in the first place, he still sees them as the gift of God. God was at work. And Israel, too, um, gives glory to God for, for seeing them. I didn't think I would ever see you, Joseph, much less your children. And now God has given me this comfort, this sight. And he adopts them. Now, why do Ephraim and Manasseh receive this special attention? I think there's two reasons. First of all, Reuben had disqualified himself as being the firstborn heir of Israel. He was the firstborn, but he had also committed sexual immorality earlier with one of Israel's concubines, and uh, this would later disqualify him as Israel speaks to all his sons in the next chapter. And so Israel gives the inheritance of the firstborn to Joseph, the firstborn of Rachel. The firstborn would receive a double portion. The way they did inheritance is that each of the sons would receive an equal portion, but the oldest would receive two of those portions, so twice as much as all the other sons. And so by adopting Ephraim and Manasseh and making them full heirs, Joseph received the double portion that his two sons uh, inherited uh, the, the, the double portion of the firstborn. This is explained in 1 Chronicles chapter 5, verses 1 through 2. And speaking of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, for he was the firstborn, but because he defiled his father's couch, his birthright was given to the sons of Joseph, the son of Israel, so that he could not be enrolled, that is Reuben, as the oldest son. Though Judah became strong among his brothers, and a chief came from him, yet the birthright belonged to Joseph. And so, there will be a prophecy of a ruler from Judah, and Ephraim would fail during the time of the judges, and Psalm 78 speaks of how the Lord rejected Ephraim from being the firstborn and, and raised up David from the line of Judah, uh, who was next in succession among Leah's sons. And any, but in Genesis 48, in the end of Israel's life, he is giving the double portion of firstborn to Joseph by adopting his two sons, his first two sons, uh, as full heirs. This also, this theme of of firstborn itself uh, has messianic significance since this growing people would be represented and defended by its leader. You don't have just one son anymore, like Isaac or Israel. Now you have a people, but there's still a a unity that they have 
in, in some leader. The question is, who is that leader going to be? And we're going to find out years later from the, the line of um, David and then, of course, in his offspring, the Lord Jesus Christ. I've mentioned how both Judah and Joseph have foreshadowed the work of Christ for his brothers, uh, that there is one particular offspring of, of Israel who's going to save uh, the people through whom the promises to Israel are going to be fulfilled. So we have some, some themes that are being brought to the fore here, and practically speaking, where does the firstborn inheritance go? It goes to Joseph by adopting his two sons. Also, so secondly, I think why Ephraim and Manasseh received this special attention is that these two boys had two grandfathers. They didn't only have Israel as a grandfather. They also had Potiphar, priest of On, who was their other side of the family, uh, that they were a, raised as the children of the governor of Egypt. They were connected also to the powerful and wealthy priests of Egypt who were pagan. Despite, have axing, despite having access to the riches of Egypt, Ephraim and Manasseh would align with the heritage of Israel. Israel wanted to ensure this, and his adoption of them would confirm their place in this heritage of Jacob. Jacob wanted to be sure that, that these boys who had uh, been born when he wasn't there with them would, would be sure to remain in the people of Israel and to be heirs of the promises given to him. Now, you also have received the blessing and the promises of God. They've been proclaimed to you in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jacob received them at Luz. I don't know where you first received them, but you've heard them in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so as Jacob remembered God's promises and spoke of them, remember God's promises. Speak of them as you rise up, as you uh, lay down, even on your deathbed, uh, to speak of these things to others. Are God's words fixed in your mind? Are they important to you? Let us meditate upon the word of God, to remember his promises years later, uh, that they, we keep them. He, promised, he has promised eternal life and blessing. He's promised salvation through Jesus Christ. He has promised to protect and to increase his church, to bless the nations in Christ. He has promised his people a place in his kingdom as an everlasting possession. These are great and precious promises. So make known and pass them on. Make known God's promises, as Jacob did. If they are important to you, you all want others to partake of them as well, especially your children and your grandchildren. Of all the treasures you have, what is more important to pass on than the promises of God? Uh, summon your strength. Sit up in your bed. Tell them of the covenant of your God and his promises of grace and life. Tell them of the goodness of God. And do not let them forget. So first, Israel recounts the promises of God and, and adopts Joseph's oldest two sons as full heirs uh, to receive this covenant heritage, to receive portions in a land that they didn't possess yet, that they would possess generations later. Uh, he's already divvying it up, making them uh, full heirs with the other future tribes. Secondly, we find that Israel blesses Joseph's two sons. Notice Joseph takes 
them from Joseph's knees and then brings them back near to him, and that's where he puts his hands on them to bless them. So he adopts them, then he blesses them, verses 13 through 20. Israel invokes a blessing upon them, that they would be blessed by God the way he and his fathers had been blessed by God. He speaks of God as the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked. Israel's God was the same as Isaac's God and Abraham's God. They had walked before him as God had told them to. He was their God, and they trusted him, and they lived in fellowship with him, and they followed him, and God had been faithful to them from generation to generation. But not only was he the God of Abraham and Isaac, but he was also the God of Jacob. As Jacob says, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day. Israel looked back at his life, as we can in Scripture look back at his life, and what did he see through it? What did he see in this life that he had lived, these few and evil days of the years of his sojourning? He saw the faithfulness of God. God had shepherded him all the way through, even from his youth. In his youth, God had shepherded him so that Jacob prized the promises of God and did not despise his birthright like Esau. God had shepherded him when he left home, a poor outcast, uh, running from his brother, traveling to Laban, and God appeared to him in a vision. God had shepherded him in the house of Laban and what became the house of bondage, protecting him, blessing his labors, bringing him back to the land. God not only gave him many children, but he also saved his children from their reckless ways. The God of his fathers was his God and had been faithful to him his whole life long. God is my shepherd, he would say. He also speaks of the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, uh, which is not as easy to understand. Some argue that Israel is implying that the angel that he had met uh, was actually God, perhaps God the Son. Um, seems to be parallel with the God, the God, the angel. Is, angel. is God the angel? Well, we know God is not an angel, metaphysically speaking. He is God. Um, others argue that Israel associates God's angel with God in this blessing because he was God's minister and agent. He spoke for God. The work he did, he did on God's command, carrying out his work, uh, that he had benefited from the work of God's angel and wishes the same for his offspring. In any case, the redeeming from all evil was to be traced to God as its source. That's part of his work as a shepherd, after all, was to, to deliver the sheep from danger, from all harm, from evil. The word redeemed actually here refers to the help of a kinsman, as in a kinsman redeemer. If you fell on hard times and sold yourself into slavery or lost your land or something like that, you would look to a, a relative, a kinsman, to buy you back out of bondage or to stand up for your rights. Well, that's the type of deliverance that God had given to Jacob. He had stood up for Jacob. He had brought him out of danger, that he had been tied to him by a solemn covenant and would come to his aid and had come to his aid. He had brought Jacob out of every danger. He had delivered him out of the hands of Laban, out of the hands of Esau, out of the hands of the Canaanites whom he feared, out of the hands of the great famine that, sought, that, that threatened to uh, destroy them. The angel of the Lord encamped around him for his protection. 
God Almighty was his covenant Lord and would come to his aid as his powerful ally, his kinsman, his redeemer. And so this is the God whom he had served, the God whom he looked back on his 147 years and had seen at work, and now he asks, he invokes uh, this blessing upon the boys, or the young men could be translated as well. The blessing of God is the greatest treasure, even as his curse is the greatest horror. And then let my name be carried on, the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac. He also says, let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. A blessing of God would be seen in these boys, these young men, becoming tribes, becoming nations. And in fact, it literally says, let them be like fish for multitude. Have you seen swarms of fish fill in the water? It's kind of an echo of Genesis 1. Let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures. Well, let Ephraim and Manasseh be like swarms of fish that are going to fill the land. Let them be like fish for multitude. So he pronounces this blessing, but he also does the old switcheroo. Uh, he, he crosses his arms. You know, Joseph's brought the boys up so that his right hand would be on the oldest and the left hand on the youngest. Uh, but the, at, at the last minute, uh, Israel crosses his hands so that the right hand is on the youngest and the left hand is on the oldest. And this displeases Joseph. He's like, Dad, you got it wrong. And uh, Israel says, no, I know. I know what I'm doing. Uh, This is the way it's going to be. We're not explicitly told why, but we do know that it was purposeful and irreversible. And that it seems he did this with prophetic insight and faith. The blessing that he gave was not a matter of nature. It was not something that merely followed the course of nature but it was the gift of God, not of works, not of mere birth, but of uh, his grace. This is what has been demonstrated in the fact that Isaac uh, was chosen and not Ishmael, or, or that Jacob uh, was, was chosen and not Esau. Well, here, both of them are blessed. Both of them are in the covenant people, but merely which one will be prominent, which one will uh, be blessed more. And Ephraim receives greater blessing. And a reminder that some Christians are blessed more than others too, and to not be resentful for that. To remember that all the gifts of God are gifts of His grace and are not of our deserving. This reversal in which the last would be the first demonstrated that the blessing was from the grace of God. So we see the blessing of God. Rest in the gracious blessing of God. God is faithful. He is a good and mighty shepherd still. He delivers his people from harm. He so entrusts yourself to him. God is with us in Jesus Christ who came as the good shepherd to save the flock of God, to lay down his very life for your salvation that you might be delivered from death and condemnation and from every harm that he would bring you into everlasting kingdom. So, rest in the blessing that is a gift of grace that is given by God, our Redeemer. Lastly, in the passage, we come to the special gift of land to Joseph. Uh, Verses 21 through 22. Israel believed that God would bring his offspring back. He would not live to see it, but he was convinced of it because he trusted God. I'm about to die. But God will be with you and will bring you again to the land of your fathers. And he expressed this faith by giving 
land that he did own to Joseph. One mountain slope. The Hebrew word for mountain slope sounds like Shechem. So that's a little allusion to where this land is, uh, too. The land near Shechem. He had purchased land. And then he also took it from them in battle. Uh, It seems like the same land is described in both ways. Because he did buy it. And then also the people of Shechem got wiped out. Perhaps there was a later conflict as well that's not spoken of. There's a little debate on that. But the same plot of land is spoken of as being purchased or as here as being uh, taken by sword and bow. And it is given to Joseph. It shows up later. Ephraim would inherit it. Joseph would be buried there. Much later, Jesus would meet there with the Samaritan woman. Now, Joseph did not need this plot of land. Do you think Joseph was hard on cash? Joseph was the governor of Egypt. Uh, He didn't need this little piece of land up in Shechem. Uh, He received it, though. He received it as an inheritance for his descendants to possess, a sign to remind them all that God was not going to leave them in Egypt, but would bring them back to the land of their fathers and give them that possession for themselves. And so as Israel looked to the future, believing God and therefore with a hopeful expectation for what God would do, look to the future with faith. You can be confident that God is going to do what he has promised. Like Jacob, like Israel, look beyond the horizon of your lifespan. Look both to future generations beyond your lifespan in that sense, and also look to the glory that is to come. Uh, in the age to come, beyond your lifespan in that sense, beyond death. In future generations, God has promised to extend Christ's kingdom. He has promised Christ the earth and its nations, that he would inherit the nations even to the ends of the earth. And so will God fail to bring that promise about? No, he will do it. We might not see it, but he will do it. His gospel is going forth and is bearing fruit. He is currently taking possession. He is directing history to this end. As Israel would say, God will bring you up from this land to give you that land. So we could say God is is extending his kingdom to receive all the land uh, for King Jesus. Succeeding generations will rise to carry on this work. God will be with them. The gates of hell shall not prevail against his church. But then looking to the age to come, God has also promised to everyone who believes in Christ a share in heavenly glory, an everlasting possession. When you die, you go to be with Christ. When, you, when he returns, you would be raised from the dead, openly acquitted, given a place with Christ in the new heavens and new earth, where righteousness dwells, inheriting the earth in the fullest sense in the kingdom in its perfect development, in its fullest form. He will bring you into this land along with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob that you might dwell with God forever. So look with expectation to the inheritance that God gives his people. And with this faith-filled vision of the future, pass it on to the next generation as Israel did. The Lord is our shepherd and he will be with you. You can say that to the next generation too. So as Israel was ill 
and about to die, he remained confident that God would fulfill his promises to his descendants, the same God who had shepherded him all his life long. By faith, he blessed the sons of Joseph and passed on this heritage to them. May you and I share this faith, that in life and death, we fix our hopes upon God Almighty and his promises of life and blessing through our Lord Jesus Christ, who is God with us. Jesus is the good shepherd, and he will deliver us from all evil and bring us into his everlasting kingdom. To him be glory with the Father and the Spirit, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Oh, dear Father, we thank you for your promises, your words that you have bound yourself to, that you would fulfill them out of your grace and mercy. We pray that you would bring to pass that which you have promised, that your gospel would go forth with power unto salvation, that the nations would be blessed in Christ, and that he would receive the earth as his inheritance, that he would possess it. We pray that you would also strengthen us in our faith and hope that this would be passed on to the next generation who would receive it by faith as well, that you would maintain your church from generation to generation, that you would turn your face upon us, that you would bless us, that we might be saved, that you would lead us forth like a flock protected and delivered. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.